Welcome to the podcast. This is a weekly podcast by Denver Transplants. I'm Andrew. And I'm Andrew. And this is You Aren't From Here. Boom. There we go. There's your first intro. I know. This is very exciting. Very nerve-wracking. Three takes. That's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it always happens. Yeah. <laughs> Practice makes perfect, as they say. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, welcome, guys. Hopefully, you had a great weekend. Um, this is episode 64. And if you didn't see the title of the episode, this is we did an interview with Rob Spiewak, who's the founder and CEO of More Kombucha. So we thought, you know, let's change up a little bit. We usually focus a little bit more on the beer and the wine, but this week we changed it up and got a kombucha place, which I thought was, Rob was really informative, really interesting. And he actually provided us some alcohol options for the kombuchas. Yeah, which was super, super cool. I took very detailed notes on that. We'll be posting some of the stuff and some of the highlights on our Instagram later. Um, but it was also interesting to learn that there is alcohol created in the kombucha brewing process, but you kind of take that out to make his kombucha. So learned a lot of cool things. Uh, definitely excited for you guys to, to check out the interview and also check out our Instagram page for the, the different cocktails and combinations you can make with more kombucha. Yeah. And I would say I did have one today. Um, I got the, I think I had the pineapple one. I can't remember the flavor of it, but be aware that it is definitely a little bit more fizzy than an old drink when you open it. So I opened it, like took it out of the fridge and I, I didn't really shake it up, but it probably wasn't stable completely. And I opened it and it just kind of spilled everywhere. So be aware, <laughs> take a couple seconds, let it sit there, let it rest and then open it. Otherwise you'll lose like I don't know, a 10th of your drink. <laughs> So good things to know this week. I don't think there's been a crazy amount. Um, the Western stock, the national Western stock show is going on right now. They had to cancel the parade that went through the city due, I believe it was due to weather conditions. So yep. unfortunately didn't get to do that, which is one of the cooler events, I think to start it off. But uh, if you want to go to the national Western stock show, um, give it, Give it a try. See if you like it. Let us know. Um, we did interview the Blues CEO and president. Um, and released that episode, re-aired it on episode 58. So if you want some background on kind of the events and what he recommends going to and some fun facts, uh, that's a good episode to pick up and take some time. Yeah, I didn't realize, you know, cows and stuff would be affected by the weather. I guess it makes sense having a bunch of them come down 17th street in the middle of a blizzard probably wouldn't be great for anyone, but yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like any kind of parade during snow and wet and dirty roads, like probably isn't very entertaining in general. So it kind of makes sense. That's true. But to the places that are good with snow, some ski mountains, Swenham, do you want to talk about where we went this week? Yeah. So we will. Wow. I've never, we've never changed the order and not done. What did you learn first? But you know what? I'm open to it. Change. Um, so this week for the, where did you go? We went to Wolf Creek skier. So Andrew went this past weekend and I went a couple weeks ago. I just thought we would talk about it just because it's not, I mean, usually you hear about the Breckenridge's, the Vales, the A basins when you're in Colorado or Denver, 
but not a lot of people talk about Wolf Creek. And Wolf Creek actually quotes itself as the most snow in Colorado. And to give you a perspective on why they think that they can say that is on average, their annual snowfalls 430 inches. And in comparison, Vail is 231 between the years of 2012 and 2021. So if that gives you perspective on snowfall, that's a lot of snow. Almost double. Yeah. Um, so I would say the only problem is it is a little bit further from Denver. It's out in Pagosa Springs on East Highway 106, which um, is, let's see, the drive takes about, the drive takes four hours and 37 minutes, which is a little bit past, you know, you're going further south, you're coming down there by Durango. Um, so you're going down 285. It's a really pretty drive. Uh, I would say the mountain is the base is at 10,000 feet, which is actually really high. And the base, the really kind of, it's more of a local spot. So think of more of like an A basin kind of base where, you know, you have an eating spot, you have a rental spot, and that's really all you've got. And then there's just parking lots. Um, and I think there's, was it five lifts, Andrew, or six lifts? Yeah, I think six if you include the bunny hill. Um, but it's got that old kind of really reminiscent of 70s and 80s type skiing. There's a lot of these old mountains not really existing anymore in Colorado where it's at the top of a pass. It's at the top of Wolf Creek Pass, hence why it's called Wolf Creek Ski Area. Um, and that's why it's at such a high elevation. But actually the top of the mountain, I think is only, if you do the hike to, it's 11,900. So it's a little less than 2,000 total vertical feet, which means that it's not a very steep skiing experience, but it's a very wide, broad, you know, kind of nice, wide, I guess wide open in some areas, but mellow slope angle skiing, which makes for really fun glade and tree skiing. At least that, that was kind of my experience. Well, what about you, Swin? And what do you think about it? Yeah. I mean, I think the main reason you go here is just strictly for snow. 430 inches, I think. That was like two weeks ago when that big snow happened. There was supposed to be 56 inches in five days. So pretty much if you ever look at snow and you look at like Vail and if Vail is supposed to get 20 inches, that probably means Snow Creek's or sorry, Wolf Creek is going to get like double that or triple that, which is pretty crazy. There on a, on a powder day at all? I did. I got a powder day. It was, uh, I think we had like 12 inches. I would also say the other great parts about it. Um, pretty inexpensive in comparison to the typical mountains we see or you go off of I-70. Uh, for a daily pass during non-peak season, for all lifts, it's $82. For a half day, it's $66. And during peak rates, it's $92 for a full day, $76 for a half day. So to give you perspective, I mean, I think Vail on a, any given day is close to like $200 or Breckenridge is $180 to $200. So you're spending about half and you could almost go, or you could almost go twice, uh, two days and spend the same amount as you do for one day at Breckenridge or Vail. So, yeah. and, and the half day is kind of nice too, given the long drive. Uh, you can just kind of drive up in the morning, not have to kill your Friday night or, or super early Saturday morning, do the half day Saturday, ski the full day Sunday. And you could probably see most of the mountain in that. I skied a day and a half and, and my brother and I got to most of it. 
So half day is also a nice, nice piece of it. And yeah, actually for an independent mountain, they have a lot of high speed quads too. So you can get all over the mountain relatively quickly. Um, but overall a, a pretty good ski experience. I think it's definitely worth it. If you're saying sweat whenever there's a good storm, it's definitely one to check out to, uh, avoid the, the, the crazy mess that always happens as an hour tunnel. These days. Yeah. I would say that they did, they do quote the wolf pass wolf Creek pass is like one of the most dangerous passes in Colorado. So just be aware if you're driving up during storm, it, it do a pretty good job of keeping it clear, but it's, there's definitely some sketch parts. So just be aware. Um, Andrew, what would you rate Wolf Creek? Yeah, I was talking about this earlier with my brother. Um, and we were talking about this earlier too. <laughs> the fun part of this is the Alberta left over on the left side. It's some good steep terrain. But for whatever reason, <laughs> no matter where you ski, you end up at this other left. It's the short feeder lift. And that, that's called the Charity Jane lift. So basically, to get back to the lift that you want to ski, you have to take this other lift every time. So that was a little frustrating. I'd say that knocked it down like a big point. But I'd put it at like a 7.6. 7.6. Okay. Yeah. I think I'll probably be – I think I'm going to do a 7.0. Um, and I think it's just because like being in Denver, it is a longer drive. You have amazing snow. I like you don't get you know what you're getting into. I think you could rate it probably eight eight point five, just because it's such good snow and everything. But if you're expecting like something to where like you're gonna have a town where you can stay at the base and like really get after it skiing and not have to drive forty minutes, this is your mountain. This is your one of yours where it's more of a local mountain. Um, and, and if you hate lines, no yeah. lift lines. Yeah, they don't have lift lines. I, at least I didn't experience lift lines. Yeah, no, I didn't have any. Yeah. So I, it's a give and take. I think if you expect a local, very local mountain, really good snow, great place. So the downsides are it's further drive. Uh, there is, I, I frustrate, I got frustrated with the left side of the mountain as Andrew's talking. It flattens out, and then there's like 100 yards before you <laughs> So, like, if you're a skier or a snowboarder, snowboarders have to get off their snowboards and skiers have to pull, like, 100 yards. So, it's, like, very frustrating to me that you would build lift chairs 100 yards away. And so, I think it's from, like, an 8 to a 7 for me, just strictly on that because those are the best lifts on the mountain. And you literally have to pull every single time you get to it. That's, that's fair. Uh, it did bit of enjoyment to watch the snowboarders strap out of their boards and then start walking the rest of the way. But, yeah. but I agree. Yeah. So 7.0 for me, 7.6 for Andrew. Uh, so with that, leading into our series of the What Did You Learns, what did you learn this week, Andrew? Yeah. So this week we're going to be talking about rock. As a reminder, last week we talked about camber. Uh, basically the, the best way to remember these two is that rocker is also sometimes called reverse camber. And so as sweat alluded to last week, camber is like a mustache shape. So kind of facing down a little bit, a little bit raised near where the bindings are. Rocker is the exact opposite. So it's basically like a little smile, like the smile that you would have on your face when you'd be using these skis to ski in powder. So basically what it means is that both of the tips are kind of pointed up. 
and where your heel or sorry, where your binding is, is the part that's closest to the snow. What is good about that and what that gives you is it gives you great maneuverability in tighter terrain. So for example, if you're skiing steep, uh, tight glades, whereas that camber ski would grab a lot of the snow, make you more able to make sharper turns. This will allow you to kind of swing your skis and, and jump out of or avoid different little tree roots or, or rocks, maybe that you'd be maybe skiing over in some of the deeper snow or some of the glades and whatnot. Uh, additionally, like we said, it's really good for skiing in deep powder because it keeps the tips of your skis up and it keeps you floating on, on the snow. And another really, really cool thing about Rocker or, or something I think that makes it even more interesting is it's, it's a much newer invention. So it really only came about in the early 2000s. And the advent of, of today, the fat powder ski, is, is really an homage to Shane McConkie, uh, who was this fantastic Red Bull skier. And if you want to learn more about McConkie, you should definitely check out, there's a documentary on Amazon called, called McConkie. And it basically kind of talks about his life, talks a little bit about him inventing the, the rocker ski. But long story short, way back when, he was skiing these skis called Elands, which are not as popular as they used to be, but still pretty cool skis. And they had started to be at the cutting edge of developing powder skis, but he was like, yeah, this is not enough. So he took a water ski, which is curved up at the front and used the fat part of the ski as his powder ski and was able to just cruise down deep mountains a lot better than a lot of other people. So with that, you know, using the wide ski and then also the, the rocker part, that's really what created the, all the buzz and awe around rocker as, as a part of a ski technology and, and what kind of catapulted it into pretty much every ski design. I think Sweat so will talk next week about the kind of combo of rocker and camber and a lot of the different types of skis that you may see out on the mountain today. But rocker is a much newer invention, really good for powder skis think, you know, that smiling face and, uh, think Shane McConkie. So, so check out the McConkie document if you haven't, I don't know, Sweat, do you, do you know all that history about McConkie and whatnot? Like I was mad. No, I didn't at all. Uh, that's the first time I've heard of it. I would say this is probably the first time I've ever done research on like rocker versus camber. And now I feel like an expert when I get on the mountain, I can actually talk about it at a very high level. Um, and at least sound intelligent and sound like I'm from Denver. So I'm pretty excited to test my new knowledge. Yeah. It's super cool learning about them. I think the, the wrench that we'll throw in everything is basically every ski you ski now is a combo of both. And they're coming out with new percentages and changes and different modifications to all of it every day. So it may be tough to determine what your actual ski is but it's probably some mix of these two. And these are kind of the two foundational ones. So glad we put them out there. Yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll confuse the shit out of everybody next week. So get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, well, thank you guys. Uh, the, what did you try is going to be the more kombucha. So get out there, try some, uh, they're really good. As we talked about in the episode, the subscription model online will, allow you to drink it a little bit more inexpensively, but you can also get it at Locavores and you can do um, direct orders from their website. So get out there, try it, let us know what you think. Uh, and we'll see you guys next week. So this is 
Rob Spiewak with more kombucha. All right, guys. Um, so today we have Rob Spiewak, who is the founder and CEO of More Kombucha. Thank you for being with us, Rob. Glad to be here. Yeah. So I just start off pretty easy. Um, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on yourself, um, the background of your company, and just how it's come about and come what it is today? Cool. Yeah. I guess professionally, um, my background is. Uh, I'm an engineer, a mechanical engineer. Uh, I did a lot of my career in manufacturing operations, making anything from plastic cups to medical device parts. My other, the other things about me, I guess, is I'm just kind of a builder, maker, tinkerer. I like to just build and, and make things. That's the engineer in me. And I've kind of always been a foodie too. That That's part of what led me into kombucha is I just got into fermenting different things. Sauerkraut, kombucha, just pretty much anything that you could ferment I was, I was playing around with. And the kombucha was the one that I, I kind of got good at and, and stuck and I'd make it and, you know, share it with friends and, and did that over a bunch of years. So that's kind of what got me into to kombucha. And from there, I was just kind of ready to make a life change and, and start my own business. Um, I've always kind of been a, an entrepreneur and had that entrepreneurial spirit. So um, it was just kind of that that time in life was right. And the kombucha was something I had in my back pocket and a really good friend of mine was like, Hey, if you're going to go do something, this should be, be something you, you go after because you can make a good product doing it. I guess at what point did you realize like, you know, your, your side business of kombucha and giving it to your buddies um, and sell it to your friends that you could like actually make it into a business and be, I, I would imagine it's your full-time job now. It's, it's my full-time gig. Well, um, I mean, kind of funny story. It, it very quickly went from a hobby to my full-time gig. I was just, you know, I was working as, as an ops director up in Boulder and I just wasn't really, it, I, I was just ready for a, a big life change. And, you know, my wife and I decided that, you know, the kombucha idea and the business plan I put together was something that we could you know, really make happen. So I just jumped ship and went straight for it. And after that, there's still like a lot of R and D to do, you know, I, I made kombucha and I had a couple flavors, but I didn't have like a commercially viable product. Um, but it really allowed me to like dive in really deep and, you know, figure out, you know, packaging, labeling, how to safely make food products and like all the important things. Um, it allowed me to do it at a very rapid pace. Um, which was, I, I think, beneficial for the business. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, looking at the products you guys have now, you have a lot of, and I think one of the strengths of your brand is you have a lot of really cool, inventive and, and interesting flavors. You know, what was the first flavor of kombucha that you had ever made? And then what was kind of like the first flavor for more kombucha? And how did you go about testing those flavors, maybe spend a little time talking about that process. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that's a fun one to talk about. So the first one, which that I ever made really, that is still with us is our ginger grapefruit. Um, I just like, I had, I had a juicer at the time. I was doing a lot of different juicing and I was making the kombucha. And I, so I had fresh ginger juice and I had a bottle of grapefruit juice. And I think the, the grapefruit just balances better with the ginger than, you know, maybe a lemon or something like that. From there, it was just kind of like play around with things in the kitchen, like go to, I, I did a lot of just like go to the grocery store and stare at the produce <laughs> and then the combos would come together. Our hazy cactus, for example, is our most popular flavor. Um, and its story was like, I was at, 
you know, an Asian grocery store and I saw like a pack of prickly pear cactus, like wrapped in all this, like, you know, single use packaging. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to grab those. And I take them home there. I'm looking at them in the fridge. I'm like, what am I going to do with them? So I go back, I go to King Supers. I'm staring at the produce again. And I just saw like within my eyesight in one spot, I saw lemons and a big aloe leaf. And I'm like, those are the two other ingredients. So now it's prickly pear, aloe, lemon. Um, it's super, super awesome. And then, you know, some of the other ones just kind of came to me or, or maybe people would throw me hints. Um, our mojito is uh, the creation of my, my late father-in-law. He, I, I taught him how to make kombucha and, you know, I, I, we went there and visited him one time and he was just like, Hey, I got the best combo. It's a mojito. And he was making it like, he was like muddling the mint and the sugar, like you would a traditional mojito, like adding extra sugar into it. And it, it was, it was good. And, um, you know, later on when I started doing this business, I, I kind of, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the flavor at first, but like, I really wanted to kind of pay tribute to him and like, you know, take his memory a little bit with us and our, the mojito is also like probably our second most popular flavor. So yeah, a lot of it's just like throw stuff at the wall and see, see what sticks. It, it's fun. So it sounds like if you want to build a kombucha company, you basically need to go to King Supers and stay <laughs> a long time or have a good, a really cool father-in-law. I think, I think it takes a little creativity too, you know, like I, I, I can't say I'm the most like creative, like food person in the world, but you know, I, I like, I like the creativity of like trying to match things together and simplicity too. Like you don't, our, as you, you'll note, our kombuchas don't have like 10 different flavor ingredients. Like everyone knows what, what's in them. They're simple and they're straight to the point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. And so I guess as a very quick or just like an intro, like if someone were thinking about making kombucha, kind of what are your I have no idea how to make it, yeah. <laughs> but like, what, what are some of the kind of pitfalls that you ran into that you'd say, Hey, watch out for this, or what are kind of the key things to keep in mind and, and maybe speak a little bit about the process of making kombucha. Cause I actually have, have no idea. Yeah. So, uh, kombucha is basically a fermented tea. So we started making a base, um, tea is combo, combo of organic black and green tea. Uh, we then add, organic cane sugar. So now we have a, a, a big vat of hot sweet tea. We cool that down and then we add in the culture that's going to ferment those sugars. Um, so the culture is this, you know, they call it a SCOBY symbiotic organism and bacteria and yeast. Um, it is going to break those sugars down into, you know, complex sugars into simple sugars. It's going to create alcohol. The, the yeast is going to create alcohol. Um, from there, there's going to be bacteria that start um, rapidly growing, those are going to consume a lot of the alcohol and then also create organic acids from there. So that's kind of, you know, what's happening in the making process in terms of like pitfalls or like how to do it, I, I guess, you know, what not to do wrong. Like, well, a lot of the times you have to start with an acidic mixture. So you have to add old kombucha in. So even if you have the, the culture, the SCOBY, which we don't post pictures of on our Instagram because it looks pretty ugly. <laughs> Even if you have that, you need to start with something acidic or you need to start with a low pH or else you can, you can gain molds and stuff like that. Beyond that, the other only other pitfalls are really like temperature control. I think that's, you know, that's one big thing we do to have a very consistent product is, is temperature control. 
it makes our ops operation flow very smoothly because we know when the batch is going to be done. Yeah, and I'd imagine that's probably a big help from your engineering background, right? Probably a lot of different, I'm imagining many different valves and many different tubes kind of connecting to, yeah. to create this end product. Do you, do you think that's helped you? I, it's definitely helped me in the sense that like, I haven't had to go and just like buy expensive equipment that's out, out there in the world. You know, we use a lot of stuff similar, like I could probably turn our brewery into a beer brewery really fast with all the equipment we have. Um, it's just very similar stuff to, to any kind of brewing. So, but there is a lot of, there's a lot of ways to, to kind of DIY it. And those have been things that I, I would say I've saved tens of thousands of dollars to this point, just being able to not, not exactly invent something, but like piece it together myself um, to what, what I need and at the size and scale I need. So that's, that definitely has been a big help to the business. Nice. Hey, if the, so in the process, if you wanted to, I know there's, it's become a little bit more popular to have alcohol in kombuchas. Is that just a simple change in the process? Or do you know, is that like a full another process you have to kind of run through? Yeah. So alcohol kombucha is basically a second fermentation where you're going to add in more sugars, um, usually corn sugars, um, and, and then some actual brewing yeast. So a lot of the times what I've seen a uh, hard kombucha is doing is they're, they're basically like making a seltzer, like a hard seltzer on top of, of kombucha. Um, I played around with it. I, I, I've never found one that I'm like, this is so awesome. I want to do this. Like, I'm all about like, I'm not just going to chase trends. Um, I'm really passionate about like making something that I think is fun, tasty and awesome. And and also, I think there is something to be had in, in the market, you know, not that I don't like, you know, a good craft beer or cider or wine, but I, I think there's something unique and special about just like focusing on like craft, non-alcoholic drinks. And I think it's, it's such a, it's such a growing market in different ways, but, you know, I don't think people are focused on it as like this craft, non-alcoholic cocktail. That's sometimes kind of what we spin our kombuchas as it's like, you know, this should be a drink that's like, just makes you just as happy maybe in the middle of the day as your end of the day cocktail. Yeah, I like that. And it, it does bode well with Denver being like, um, a, Denver obviously being a big like craft city and having the craft beer really, really makes sense with the kombucha being kind of the same way. Definitely. And I guess I know I've read about why your guys' name is more kombucha, but can you explain to our listeners on how that came about? Yeah. So, I, I mean, to be honest, like, like my wife and I were, were trying to formulate, like, what's the, what's the pitch of this brand? What is the, how are we going to market it to the consumer? Um, and we really wanted to market it as this clean, bright brand, right? And we wanted it to look like it tastes clean, bright, refreshing. Um, and the name, I think, played a lot into that. If you, you know, if you have a really complex name that people can't say or spell, it, it, I think it, it can hurt your brand to some extent. So we really started playing off of mother. So the, the SCOBY that the culture that you use is called the mother in kombucha. So we, we, we just started iterating on that word a lot. We really tried to play off of like, you know, potentially a, a different language that we were related to, but we just couldn't find anything that stuck. Like I'm Polish and the, the Polish word for mother is like, is matka. And it was just going to be like, it just wasn't going to work. Like I wasn't going to be able to walk in somewhere and I'd be, like say, I'm with matka kombucha. And they'd be like, what? Where's the matka? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So, so mother is more in Swedish and we really wanted to like focus on something that again, it's, it's three letters. It's really clean. It, it's very marketable. Um, it's very punny. So I, I think a lot of, of the brand, I think it's important to have something that like the consumer can connect with. You know, I, I also think it's cool when brands like can resonate off of like the founder or like their location or something. But I think we really tried to focus on like what our ideal consumer was going to resonate with. Yeah. Nice. I like that. Let's I always find it interesting here how people come up with their names. Um, and I have one more that's kind of interesting. It's a little bit back more to how you built the company. Mm-hmm. How did you go about growing and like financing it? Um, we've heard like people take second mortgages on their homes. We've heard some pretty interesting stories. Um, so yeah. I'm on how you guys did that. I won't say mine's like so crazy interesting, like I robbed a bank or anything, but you know, I, it's been a combination of like some initial self-financing to get it like off the ground, you know, into, into a couple retailers. And from there, as I needed to grow, I, I first looked to some friends and family um, to do, do some, some loans that turned into equity. So they, they definitely got some benefit out of that. And then after I, that kind of well ran dry, we we're still looking to grow and, you know, grow our equipment, grow our space. Um, I actually was able to finance it with an SBA loan, which is a really good, really good opportunity of a way to borrow money at, you know, a decent interest rate. It's backed by the government. It's also like, you know, signed by me, but it, it's, it's good to have those kind of financing options that our government provides um, and, and take advantage of them. It's, it's a loan that has to be paid back, but it's at the end of the day, it's, it's just it's a good way to retain equity. And at this point, you know, I could have sold out some venture capitalist firm and like, you know, only have 5% of my company left. But I, I really like, I like that, that I'm able to like, you know, maintain ownership and, and control over it and, and look to people to, to help advise me to grow it instead of tell me what to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think like we mentioned before, um, or I mentioned before this, I say I follow you guys since kind of 2019 back in, in Rhino and, and some of the craft shows and whatnot. And I, I, it's been really cool to see the brand expand into you know, grocery stores and, and other places around Denver. What's kind of been the biggest challenge or opportunity in that process of, of growing the distribution? You know, is it kind of one key that unlocks all the supermarkets or do you need to speak to a few retailers or maybe speak a little bit about that growing the distribution process? Yeah, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing sometimes because, you know, to get in front of like bigger distribution, you have to show that you have good sales velocity and you have, you know, capacity and all these things. So, so you have to have all your ducks in a row to, to sell them on, on that kind of, on those things. And, and sales has been probably one of the biggest challenges or it was the biggest challenge for me out of the gate. I wasn't like naturally a salesperson. I was probably the exact opposite. And, and, you know, since then I've trained myself out of it, but it's a lot of just like getting out of your comfort zone, like pestering people until they say yes. Cause like people don't always say no to you because they don't like you or they don't like your product. They say no, because they're having a busy day or they have a stress at home or something. So I think, I think those have been like the biggest challenges like to overcome, but then also like being ready to, to have that, capacity for when those big 
orders come in. So, you know, overall, I think just like learning the sales game and like learning the food and bev space, because, you know, some people start these businesses and they've been working in food and bev their whole life. I didn't know anything about food and bev until, you know, 2018. So, yeah. And, and maybe also talk a little bit about, I know if people go on your website, they can buy the products, but also sign up for a subscription, which I think is something that's pretty cool and, and unique amongst a lot of maybe craft beverages. Can you kind of speak a, bit, a little bit about that? It's, it's a very local Denver thing too, which is awesome. Yeah, but, we, we deliver, you know, cases of kombucha direct to your house across the front range. All you got to do is go to our website, morekombucha.com. Um, you can get, you know, pack your favorite flavor, mix pack to try out everything. Um, and also, yeah, we do have a lot of people that sign up for a subscription. There's some different options on there for, you know, weekly, bi-weekly, weekly. Um, and it's just, it's been a great, it's been a great additional avenue. You know, it's not, it's not like our bread and butter, but we like to have it as an option to our loyal customers, because if somebody really likes our product and they want to drink a 12 pack every week, um, I want to give them that option so they could do it like affordably compared to like what they'd be paying at a grocery store. Yeah. Nice. And so not to give out all your secrets, but is it technically cheaper for somebody to do it through subscription versus going to the supermarket? Yeah, it should be cheaper to, to do a subscription versus the supermarket. Nice. And you don't and have to leave. And for all of our listeners. Uh, <laughs> and I guess if you were going to, Say I'm a, somebody I wanted to sign up for a subscription and order one. If I was going to try one of your kombuchas and you were like, you know, this is the first one you should try, uh, which one would you suggest for that? Uh, definitely our hazy cactus. It's just such a unique flavor. Uh, prickly pear isn't really used that well in a lot of drinks. Um, and we just use like a lot of prickly pear juice. It has this really awesome flavor, you know, a cactus fruit is such a unique thing. You know, there's so much energy that goes into making that little fruit. Yeah. That's hands down my favorite, most people's favorite. Nice. Um, and for Denver, I guess, what supermarkets are you in? If somebody just wants to go grab a quick six pack after listening to the episode or grab. Yeah, definitely. Our, our main, um, our main, retail marketplaces like that. We're going to be in Lemur's Locavore over in the Highlands. Um, we're also available at both Lucky's Markets, both Fort Collins and um, North Boulder. Um, those are the main, the big retailers that we're in. We actually aren't in like the Whole Foods and, and grocers like that. You know, please to anyone listening, ping your local Whole Foods person because we're we're knocking at their door every day trying to, trying to get in there. You could also visit our website. We have a list of every restaurant, bar, coffee shop, um, that we're available in. You'll see us at a lot of breweries as well um, across the area. Uh, we, we do sell a lot through just like food service. So the, the restaurant scene. I was going to say, down near me, I always pick up some at Leroy's Bagels. That's my... <laughs> yeah, Leroy's is definitely one of my uh, earlier customers. They're great over there. Yeah, we actually interviewed them, uh, I think it was almost a year ago now. It's been a while. She's awesome. Um, yeah, and so I guess some kind of stupid questions I always like to ask is, uh, how many kombuchas do you drink a day? <laughs> um, it varies. Let me see. So like yesterday, I probably, we just installed a kegerator here at work. So we had a sample flavor on and I probably drank seven. 
<laughs> which is a little excessive. Um, <laughs> there will be weeks where I don't drink a single one, though. It's like it's like feast or famine. You either like get on, you either get on the bandwagon, or you have to have to pump the brakes for a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel about Lacroix. Um, and I guess another one is for one, <clears throat> what question do you get to ask most about kombucha that you get like the most frustrated with? Like, I feel like there's always like for people that run in a business, I feel like there's like, there's always got to be a stupid question. Somebody asks about something that's like super simple or, uh, you just get asked a tremendous amount about. And have we asked it yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always get asked like, is there added sugar or how much sugar is in there? And like, people are always asking me the question while they're looking at the nutrition label, which I always think is funny. Um, there's no added sugar according to, uh, you know, FDA and stuff like that. You know, we initially use sugar, but it's broken down. I'm, I'm trying to think what else I, I do get a lot of people that like, they just assume our product is like every other kombucha and they're like instantly disinterested in it. Um, and those are the people that like, I don't want to say they're asking a stupid question, but they're like really avoiding me and I have to like force them to drink it. But nine times out of 10, they, they like it. Yeah. And, and I, from tasting your kombucha, I, I know it's very different. Personally, I like the taste a lot more than some of the other ones that are out there, like synergy and, and stuff, but how, how would you say in, in a sentence or a couple of sentences that you represent your brand or, or the taste differently than, than some of the other kombuchas out there on the market. Yeah. Our kombucha is just a lot fresher and brighter. We don't focus on the vinegary acidic taste that a lot of kombuchas have. We really focus on the flavoring that we add to it. And to do that, we just use fresh organic juices on top of a kombucha that is still low in calories and good for you. Awesome. What sounds well, well rehearsed knows it very well. <laughs> I've done it a couple of times. <laughs> and, and so looking ahead, kind of what's next for, for more kombucha? Is it get into Whole Foods, get in some more stores in Denver, open tail location? What are you kind of considering and, and what gets you excited about the brand today? Yeah. So right now, like our goals for 2022 is we want to keep expanding into grocery. Um, you know, grocery is a lot of good volume that could, could help us continue to grow. Um, and then we really want to push, continue to push our, our food service. end. we just started distributing through Shamrock Foods back in October. Um, and we're seeing a lot of good traction with them. And we're working to really, you know, push into those markets because they have, they've been our most loyal customer base, um, the food service end. And I know we get a lot of good, like, end consumer customers out of it. So, you know, really focusing on those two channels are going to be what we're looking at in, in 2022 and, and just continuing to increase our volumes and the amount of cases we, we ship out the door. Nice. Is there ever going to be a retail location for us Democrats? Yeah. So we've tossed it around. Um, I think initially I avoided retail location for distraction purposes. Um, and really focused on, you know, what I was good at, which is like growing the, the operations. But, you know, it's something we've toyed around with. We've looked at a couple spaces. I, I don't see it in the next year, but it, it could be something we'll do, do someday. Um, the funny thing about that is like, if I ever do a tap room, 
I'm going to be very passionate about having alcohol sold at the tap room, even though we don't do alcoholic kombucha. So you'll be able to get a kombucha cocktail or something like that, and maybe a nice little craft beer along with your kombucha. But uh, yeah, one one of these days I could see it happening. Yeah, you could be like the first ever like kombucha garden, like beer, but kombucha garden. On the, so the kombucha, I like that actually. Do you? Are there any mixed drinks that you make that use more kombucha that, that you think are, are worth a try? Yeah, definitely. So um, we actually kind of created this little cocktail cheat sheet, I like to call it, because first off, all of our flavors, they mix great with different um, spirits. So just to run through like four options there, Hazy Cactus is really fun with tequila. Our ginger grapefruit makes a great mule. So just add some vodka and a lime wedge. Mojito, not much to say there. Gin, vodka, rum, any of those go great with our mojito. And, you know, our pineapple peach also pairs really good with, with rum. From there, we, we have a couple cocktail suggestions. The first one is kombucha makes a great um, kombucha mosa, as we like to call it. So mix your favorite flavor of kombucha with your favorite Prosecco or champagne. Uh, hazy cactus and pineapple peach are probably my two favorite flavors for, for that. Um, and then one cocktail that was developed a while ago that we really do like is called the hazy Negroni. Basically take your classic Negroni recipe and sub out the sweet vermouth with the hazy cactus. And that makes for a nice probiotic cocktail as well. Wow. I, for the listeners who are just going to hear this and not see this, I was furiously writing down all of these suggestions because that, that's very exciting. I've never, I think the hazy Negroni, that's, that's a, such a cool application that I would have never thought of. And it was over the holidays and my dad, very Italian, had a Negroni like every day. So I'll <laughs> from next time and, and we'll see if that becomes his new favorite drink. Nice. Sounds great. Yeah. And we'll, uh, we'll put those on the Instagram just so everybody has them written down. We might have to reach out to you, Rob see what the exact ones are but uh yeah definitely i'll, I'll share i'll share the, the cocktail sheet with you guys share the secrets uh yeah. awesome all right well usually our last kind of question we do we call it the 30 second sales pitch it's not necessarily a sales pitch we just felt like you know with the the way covid's been and the way you know how many businesses have hurt from it and just kind of this is kind of the main reason why we started this and you know to learn about denver and the new brands is there's something that you haven't told our listeners or anything we haven't asked you about that you want to talk about um, or if you just want to just tell us about more kombucha and just kind of your 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 uh, statement for more kombucha, I guess. Yeah, I guess just the quick rundown is, is really at the end of the day, um, our, our tagline is, is more kombucha for everyone. We really are. We're a, a healthy, non-alcoholic craft cocktail, uh, craft beverage that that is good for drinking every day and it's good for everybody. Um, it doesn't have the, the classic acidity of a normal kombucha. It, it's easy drinking and it's just, it's a fun time. So, you know, grab one wherever you see us, um, whether it's at your local brewery at, at one of our grocery partners or, uh, or your favorite uh, fast casual restaurant. Awesome, great answer, love it. Um, so get out there you guys. Drink some more kombucha, uh, maybe sign up for a subscription model online. But uh, that's Rob Spiewak with more kombucha. Thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks, guys.